God in heaven, it is so humbling and thrilling at the same time to sing that we have you. All we have is you, but we have you. And all we need is you. You've been so gracious to us, God. So merciful, so kind, and so compassionate. You've offered your own son to save us. And thank you just doesn't seem adequate enough. But we do thank you, God. We praise you for being so loving, even when we were so sinful and rebellious, even as we are still sinful and rebellious. Your goodness is seen at every turn of our lives. You've been faithful in in every regard. Faithful to save. Faithful to sanctify. Faithful to instruct. To give us of your word. And and let us open it and see you in it. And and be drawn to you. And God, that's, that's my prayer this morning. That we would be drawn to you. That we might even be left in awe of who you are. Speechless at what we come to consider today. Elevate our hearts to be with You. And again, give us eyes to behold, minds to understand, and hearts to believe and know. In Jesus' name, Amen. Invite you with me to take your Bibles and open them to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. New Testament letter of Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. And while you're turning there, I want to define a word for you. The word is transcendent. And in that form, the word transcendent is an adjective meaning going beyond ordinary limits. It also means surpassing or exceeding. And still furthermore, it can mean superior or supreme transcendent. It is one of my absolute favorite words because it is the best word I can think of to summarize my belief and understanding of God. Transcendent. When I think of God in His nature and His character and His person and and even all that He does and His works, I think of usually, first and foremost, transcendence. He goes beyond ordinary limits. He's superior and supreme and surpassing and exceeding beyond anything we can comprehend. Anytime we think of God in relation to anything else, we would say God transcends that thing. For instance, God transcends the very universe He has created, which is an infathomable thought anyways. Think of the grandeur of creation, just Gaze upon a sunrise or a sunset or or lift your eyes to the heavens at night and behold the stars and understand there's so much more happening up in the universe than what you and I can even see from from our place here on earth. And and think about the, the bigness of the universe and think then that God transcends that. He surpasses the universe. He exceeds the universe. He is supreme to the universe. God transcends time. God transcends humanity. God transcends angels. 
God transcends heaven itself and everything else and anything else we could fill the blank with. God is transcendent. But He's not just transcendent. I would also add God is transcendent and holy. Which means that He's distinct in His transcendence. He's set apart, separate, unique. In other words, God is completely and totally and entirely alone in His transcendence. There's no one like Him. There's none that can elevate to His level. None that can grow to attain God's transcendence. None that can even relate to God on such a level as His transcendence. He is transcendently holy. Entirely, completely, and forever alone in His transcendence. That's an important truth for you and I to know in our understanding of who God is and how we relate to Him. We are creatures made of dust, finite, always dependent. And yet, we have the great and awesome privilege of relating to and knowing a God who transcends us and everything we can fathom. The world craves to know something of transcendence. The world looks all the time for the transcendent. I believe God has built it within us to desire something that surpasses what we see here. To desire something that exceeds what you and I know. To to desire something that goes beyond ordinary limits that is bigger and better than us and what we can attain. I think that explains the modern day fascination with superheroes. Humanity and the world looks for something that transcends what we know. Something that exceeds even us. I think that explains the ancient fascination with mythological gods. Mythology. Characters like Zeus that transcends humanity and the world. Even characters like Hercules, which might be this intermingling of humanity and mythical gods. Something that will transcend what you and I know. I think the desire and need to know the transcendent is what explains man's fascination with idols. Let's fashion whatever we can. Let's look for something that is beyond humanity, something greater than creation, something transcendent. Let's fashion what we might to explain and fill the void and desire we have for the surpassing. You and I know by God's grace that none of those things are really transcendent, are they? They're all corruptible things and they in fact do not exist without human imagination. I think the world even comes to realize that to some degree. That everything we think of when we think of the word transcendent we have conjured in our own imagination. So today we find a Perhaps a a small revolution in seeking the transcendent. Today, I think we see things like sexuality taking the transcendent stage. It is most important after all, right? We could say rather autonomy of truth 
or, or individualism or autonomy of identity. However I want to define myself, however I want to live, that is what's surpassing. That's what's most important. That, that is what deserves my time. That's what's exceeding how I define myself, how I view myself, on and on and on and on. Wealth, loving who you want to love, living how you want to live, and many other abstract and misguided concepts have taken this stage of supremacy in our hearts, in the world's hearts, because we're looking for something to give ourselves to that is greater than us. And yet still, just like with the superheroes we read about in our comic books or watch on the movie screen, none of those things are really transcendent. There's only one thing that the Bible tells us about that's transcendent, and that is God. He is supreme. And He is superior. And He is surpassing. And He is exceeding. And He alone is worthy of the most important place in our hearts and our lives. The Bible tells us why the world doesn't view God as transcendent and why they try to fill that gap with everything besides God. The Bible tells us that they're looking in the wrong direction. And even furthermore, they refuse to look in the right direction. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul addresses this, I believe. Why won't the world recognize God as transcendent it's because they're looking in the wrong way. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, they're demanding signs and the Greeks are seeking wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Paul recognizes the issue. They're looking for superiority in the wrong places and in the wrong way. They're looking for signs and wisdom and they're neglecting Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul tells us why. Verse 4, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You and I know that God alone is transcendent. God alone is superior. God alone is supreme. And what we also know is that the only way to behold God in all of His supremacy and all of His glory is to look at His Son Jesus. For it's only in Jesus that we come to behold God. The world will not recognize God as transcendent because they refuse to look at Jesus. What we come to consider today in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1 is that the only way to behold God is through Jesus. That in fact, He's not just one way, He is the only way. There is no other way to understand, to know, to relate to, to, to get a glimpse of the glories of the Father. As we come to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, really we're going to take it verse 15 through 23, but 15 through 20 is really this one condensed moment that is a heavyweight of a passage in Scripture. 
In fact, it is probably the most notable Christological passage in all of Scripture, the most weighty passage that teaches us about Christ in all of the Bible. Verses 15 through 20, Paul uh, actually writes it in one long run on sentence. If you are an English teacher, you wouldn't appreciate that. But it's almost this overflow of joy from Paul's heart. He's overflowing in this long, I cannot stop saying and writing about the glories of Christ kind of sentence. In the original language, he actually structures it in somewhat of a, of a hymn type form, an ancient hymn. And there is a little bit of a debate there whether Paul actually composed this hymn or not. But the point is unmistakable as we read verses 15 through 20. Paul is enamored with communicating the wonders of Jesus. With elevating Christ to the most supreme position possible. He really talks about Him and His relation to both creation and redemption, but it's unmistakable as we read through these verses that Paul is most concerned with Jesus being held as high is in high esteem as one can hold Him. Look with me in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> Paul begins and he says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent or supreme. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. We're just going to focus on the first part of verse 15 this morning because it's rather important where Paul focuses here uniquely on a specific attribute of Jesus with very specific language communicating to us the transcendent nature of Christ. He starts at the very top of the theological mountain. He runs to the highest point. He doesn't build a structure for us to, to climb to before we contemplate the weighty things of Christ. He starts with the weighty things of Christ. As he should, for that is where Christ is. He first identifies him as the image of the invisible God. The highest and most lofty position. This is for good reason because as we've highlighted in Colossians, Paul's writing for a very specific purpose. To shore up these Colossian Christians against false teaching. To protect them. To hold them steady in the faith and on the path of righteousness. And he knows that the only way he can absolutely do that is to remind them of Christ. 
John Calvin says this about this verse. He says, This was the only remedy for fortifying the Colossians against all the snares by which the false apostles endeavored to entrap them. To understand accurately what Christ was. For how comes it that we are carried about with so many strange doctrines, but because the excellence of Christ is not perceived by us? Hence there is nothing that Satan so much endeavors to accomplish as to bring on mists with the view of obscuring Christ because he knows that by this means the way is opened up for every kind of falsehood. John Calvin's absolutely right. The only way you and I are going to protect ourselves from false teaching and false religion and false faith is to place Christ in His proper position of glory and to constantly behold Him there. Our only defense from going astray and falling away is to comprehend as best as we possibly can the excellencies of our Lord. Paul knows this, and so he starts here in verse 15. As he begins to write the meaty part of his letter, he starts at the top of the mountain where Christ is elevated to a position of glory. And he says, put your eyes here. And train your minds here. And understand and contemplate and consider who this Jesus truly is. The moment you and I take our eyes off of our Lord is the moment we become like Peter on the water, frightened by the waves of competing ideas and sinking into despair and confusion and chaos. So I admonish us with Paul, start here, look here, contemplate the weight and glory and richness of Jesus. Let your hearts be filled and and thrilled by this teaching of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. Let's first start with an understanding of what Paul means when he calls God the invisible God. To understand what it means that Christ is the image, we first have to understand this phrase, invisible God. Well, quite naturally, it means God is not seeable with the human eye. With the eyes that are in your head and in your body, you will not behold the glory of the Father. But it's further than that. It's more than that. It also means with the mind of your body, you will not comprehend the Father. God is, to some real serious degree, concealed from us. Hidden. And apart from Christ, you and I will not know Him in His fullness and in His glory and in His excellencies. We might know some aspects of God as we study the Old Testament and other portions of Scripture. But we will not know the fullness of God apart from Christ. We will not know the mercies of God and the love of God and the kindness of God and the compassion of God as we ought to and as God would desire if we do not look first to Christ. God is invisible to us. And if He were visible to us, He tells us in Exodus chapter 33 that we could not comprehend Him. Exodus 33 verse 18. 
Moses has this very same desire to see God. And he says, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, God said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. The glories of God are so extravagant and so wonderful. His greatness is so unmatched that it would melt the existence of humanity if we were exposed before Him. The Israelites had a slight understanding of this in Exodus 20 when God gives the the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, this is what it says. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. But the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. You know what would serve the church a great deal? Having a very holy, reverent view of our God. To where we cry out, Often with the children of Israel. God be gracious to us lest you speak to us and we hear and die. For we cannot comprehend you in all of your glory. You're unfathomable. You're too great. You're too splendid. You're too majestic. You're too wonderful. You're too mighty. You're too powerful. You're too holy. You're too pure. You exist in unapproachable light. And we dare not draw near to you. You're the unknowable God. Beyond our finite comprehension. We would do well to picture God on the mountain where smoke and thick darkness encompasses Him and lightning and thunder peals forth from Him and trumpets blast and the earth quake. We would do good to remember God in that fashion. We would do good to remember God saying to Moses, you cannot see me and live. I am the God who is beyond you. I am the God who is transcendent. I am the God who is above you. Supreme. Church, sometimes we treat our God too flippantly. And I fear we approach our God even on Sunday worship too casually. This God is a holy God. This God is a God that if He were to expose Himself to us, we would fall down in anguish. We would cry out as Isaiah did in chapter 6, Woe is me, for I am coming undone. I am being unraveled at the core, for I have been exposed to God. 
when Paul writes of the invisible God, he's not merely saying you can't see him. He's saying you can't know him. You can't find him. Our minds cannot comprehend him. Our hearts cannot bear him. Our eyes cannot find him. Our souls do not know him. And any attempt to find God apart from Christ, either be it in this life or the life to come, is futile. For God has decided not to reveal Himself in His fullness in any other fashion. He is the invisible God. The question is posed to us now, then where can God be seen? Because God does command that we know Him. Where can we know Him and how can we know Him? Let me quote again my friend Mr. Calvin. He says, God in Himself, that is in His naked majesty, is invisible. And that not to the eyes of the body merely, but also to the understanding of men. And He is revealed to us in Christ alone that we may behold Him as a mirror. For in Christ, He shows us His righteousness, goodness, wisdom, power. In short, His entire self. And then Mr. Calvin says this, we must therefore beware of seeking Him elsewhere. For everything that would set itself off as a representation of God apart from Christ will be nothing more than an idol. God is invisible, unknowable, beyond us. And yet, where do we see God and how do we know God? Only in His Son, Jesus. It is a very gracious gift that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. For yes, He goes to the cross to save us, but also in every word spoken and every deed He makes known God. Makes the glories of God known and the wonders of God known and the the splendor of God known. Makes Him knowable, relatable, findable. In other words, without Jesus, God would still be invisible. God would still be unknowable. Beyond us. I think the argument can be made that even in the Old Testament where we find glimpses of God speaking and acting, we find Him speaking and acting through His Son, Jesus. And certainly, the things that we see of God in the Old Testament before Christ is born isn't fully comprehensible until Christ comes. That's the New Covenant truth that God is only known in His Son, Jesus. An old Puritan named John Owen says it like this. He says, Knowing God includes both His holy attributes and the things that He has purposed to do. And the only way we can know these things is in the face and person of Jesus. That elevates Christ for us instantly. He's he's no longer just merely a teacher like Nicodemus said in John 3. 
He's not just merely the rabbi that has come on the, on the scene. And He's not merely some prophet of the Old Testament, like in Matthew 16 when Jesus asked the disciples, what are people saying about Me? Well, they think you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the old prophets. He's not merely just a prophet. He's not merely just a charismatic good leader like the Pharisees had hoped in Acts chapter 9. He's altogether different from those things. He is what John calls Him in John chapter 1. The Word. The full, complete self-disclosure and revelation of God. He is what Ulrich Zwingli called Him. The resemblance of the Father in everything. Let's consider some other passages that highlight this very truth. I've mentioned it before. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the visible representation of God the Father. John chapter 1, verse 18. John says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus has made Him known. Go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul teaches this earlier on in his ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In the case of those who are perishing of the unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This, this truth is so important. We find Paul teaching the devil himself seeks to distract the minds of unbelievers from seeing and knowing God through the face of Jesus. John chapter 10. Flip over to John chapter 10 with me. Verse 33. Jesus has performed a work. He's under the threat of being stoned. In verse 32, He says to the Jews, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone Me? In verse 33, they answered Him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. It was unmistakable what Christ was doing. John chapter 5, verse 18, we find the exact same thing being communicated. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. It's because He is equal with God. John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus speaking again. He says, 
Well, verse 8, Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe in me. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves over and over and over again throughout the scriptures church we find this being taught Jesus is no mere man he is the very image of God almighty and so all that we consider of the splendor and wonder and majesty of God we apply directly to Jesus Christ the holy pure glorious powerful wonderful God has graciously made himself known and His wonderful, glorious, powerful Son. He is the manifestation and the representation of God. And the Bible is loaded with a high view of Christ as that full revelation of God Himself. In other words, if you want to know God, you have to know Christ. So all the other false religions in the world who claim to know God apart from Christ, are wrong. And we have to, have to, take a hard and clear stand that it is only through Jesus can God be, know, be made knowable and relatable. There is no other avenue. There is no other hope. And there is no other answer. Only in Christ. And this is only possible because Christ Himself is God. We have several other passages we could turn to. John chapter 8, verse 58. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Which is a major statement. Because He doesn't reveal Himself to be I am until Moses' time, long after Abraham. And here Jesus says, Even before Abraham, I am. John 5, verse 19 through 29, he spends a huge section of John 5 saying, I and the Father are one. We have the same authority. Hebrews 1, the author of Hebrews describes him as the very radiance of the glory of God. And one of my personal favorites, the exact imprint of his nature. Philippians 2, he's described as being equal in form to God. It is no doubt that Christ is God in His character and nature and essence in every possible way. He's eternal, uncreated, omnipresent, omnipotent, immutable, omniscient, holy, pure, glorious. Every attribute we might apply to the Father, we apply to the Son. And praise God, He has made Himself known. The good news is we don't need to seek anywhere else to know God. An old reformer named Caspar 
Olivianus says this, Paul first teaches that God offers Himself to be recognized in no other way than in Christ, so that nothing may be sought beyond Him, and that in Him the conscience of the faithful might be able to rest safely. You and I need look nowhere else to know God but Jesus Christ. We need to look at our Lord and open the pages of Scripture and see the heart of our God in the face of Jesus. We need to call the world to look at Christ. It's not only that we don't have to look in secret places or other places to know God, it's that we also shouldn't look in other places to know God. Any attempt to make an image of God will end like the golden calf scenario in Exodus 32. If we try to fashion an image of God in our minds, or if we try to fill our homes or church buildings with images of God as we perceive Him to be, or if we try to divine or discern God in any other way apart from Christ, as Calvin said, we form nothing more than idols. What we need, church, chiefly need, is what Paul offers here in Colossians 1. A right understanding of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The sole image of the invisible God. If you want to know God, we must look to the image. Church, that's not only what we need, but as I said before, that's what the world needs. They don't need Christ sugar-coated. They don't need the gospel message augmented or changed in any way. They don't need it made more palatable or, or receivable or endurable. They need Christ exalted before their eyes in all of His glories, whether they like it or not. Because only there will they find the truth of God. We must devote ourselves to knowing Christ. We must devote ourselves to seeing Christ. We must devote ourselves to discerning Christ. For only through Him can we find the Father. God in heaven, we thank You for Your precious Word that reveals to us how You have ordained all things. You have worked all things according to the counsel of Your will. Nothing happens apart from Your decree, from Your desire, from Your plan. And You have planned for the way for us to know You and find You is through Your Son. You are transcendent God, far above us. And the only way to find a bridge is through Jesus.
we would do good to think on these things and to study these things for no um, amount of human words seem adequate to convey the glorious truth of what Paul's saying here. We can only know You, Father, because You have decided and desired to make Yourself known through Jesus. And we don't have to play games or look in secret places or piece together any puzzles. We can open the pages of Your Word and find Your Son and there know You. Thank You for making Yourself known through Jesus. Let our commitment to Him not fall by the wayside. Let our desires for Him only increase. The world will tell us over and over again what it thinks to be supreme, what it thinks to be most important, what it thinks to be transcendent. We know the truth is only You are transcendent. And the only way to finally and fully be satisfied is not through some imagination or thing that we created. It's in knowing You. Let not these words fall on deaf ears. Let not these words fall on hard hearts. Let not the enemy come and snatch it away or the cares of the world quench it or persecution dry it up. I pray Your Word finds good seed, good soil this morning. It takes root within our hearts that we might finally realize with complete fullness that You are more glorious, Lord Jesus, than what we really know or comprehend. It's in Your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.